says, well, it's, it's going to hurt, but it's best to cut ties with God right now. So what he says in the next verse is, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I cannot do this. He is defeated. He's cut his ties with the Lord. And there he is. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. I have good news for you. About an hour ago, I discovered that there is a God. And that's kind of good news when you're about to come up and and preach a sermon. So I realized that. And the the reason for that is that um, I realized, I I learned actually, what the final song will be that we will be singing today. I'm not sure if I can give you the actual details, but it starts with a T. And the next uh, letters spell out, earn your eyes upon Jesus, okay? So uh, what I'd want you to do is, as we think about the sermon today, just have that tune playing in your mind. Just remind yourself of it every now and then, and you'll see how that will be crucial for the message. So uh, before we begin, uh, let us uh, say a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have provided us with this beautiful Sabbath that we get to begin together. Lord, uh, uh, please open our hearts, open our minds, make us receptive to your truths, hover over us, and especially we ask that uh, you hide me and that you show yourself. I do not want to be seen, I do not want to be heard, uh, because I know that I do not have a message, but it is only you. Please bless us as we begin our time together today. In your name, amen. Amen. So, my name is David. I'm one of the elders here at Praxis, and we're doing a series, a 10-part series, and this is the fourth part. And what we've been looking at is the grand story of the Bible. Now, what is this grand story? This story is about God having a vision. Now, what is this vision? This vision is to return us to the kingdom that we lost after the fall. And throughout the centuries of history, God has sent people to pave the way and to prepare our minds for the coming of this kingdom, which happened when uh, Christ came to uh, the earth the first time during his first advent. As he walked among us, as he taught, as he healed, as he encouraged, and as he paid the ultimate sacrifice. Now, none of us would understand the ultimate value of anything that he did if it wouldn't have been for those who came before him, those who came in the Old Testament times. And that is exactly why it's so important to study the Old Testament. That is why we're discovering new and new stories in this series. Now, what we've done so far, we've realized uh, how confused humanity became and gave in to the temptation uh, of the evil one about uh, God's character. This was the subtle yet tragic downfall of Adam and Eve. 
then, as humanity lost the privileges uh, that are that where they, we couldn't see God face to face anymore, we realized that there was only one man who recognized his voice and who followed that voice out into the wilderness. That was Abraham. And to Abraham, God gave a promise. And this promise he could hold on to when times got rough, when the going got tough. And it wasn't only him who could hold on to that promise, but all of those who came after him. And because, you know, life is tough. This, this world is full of sin and suffering. And that was the experience of Joseph as well as he held on to that promise. And today we begin a new chapter. And this new chapter uh, was the catalyst to a mass exodus of people who cried out to God in their darkest hour. And God heard that cry. And he decided to respond to them and, and to bring them back to the kingdom that they've lost. To experience that, gov- that his government that we lost as humankind. And all he needed now was a vessel and a mouthpiece. All he needed was someone to say yes to him. To say that I will do this. But when God asks you something, he, he tells you something that is way beyond you. So it can be quite intimidating when God approaches you with a request. Have you ever said, I cannot do this to God? If you have, and I hear yes, I can relate. Now, I was on the plane from Budapest towards LAX, uh, and that was my first big trip that I did alone. Uh, just before that, I got accepted to the School of Public Health here at Rolom Lalinda. This was a big dream of mine. So, half a year earlier, I graduated with my degree in law in Hungary after five years of studying. And then God called me. He said, would you consider Loma Linda? I said, well, that's a, that's a great idea. Well, let's give it a try. <laughs> so, uh, there was a lot of back and forth with the school and a long and frustrating season of waiting. Now, by the end of that waiting period, I almost let go of that dream. And I said, God, like, I, don't re- I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know if I really want to do this. So, uh, but at the end, the minute after the last minute, a week late actually to start school, because that is how God's timing sometimes works out, I got notified that I did get in. So that a whirlwind of activity followed that. Well, I had to get my visa sorted, I had to buy my plane ticket, I had to pack my stuff, and I had to say goodbye to everyone that I've known. And then, when my emotions finally caught up to me, after the dust had settled, I was somewhere above Greenland. (laughs) So, I was looking down uh, 35,000 feet below me, and I saw this gargantuan ice field, surrounded by almost still-looking icy water. And my blood froze. And I went into a state of panic. What just happened? What am I doing here? Have I gone completely mad? I thought I was. So I had to leave everything behind. And for what? To go to a place I've only heard about? Yeah, it sounds nice, but really, what is going to happen there? What am I getting myself into? So I turned to God and I said, God... I cannot do this. You're asking something impossible for me. Too bad I couldn't turn back. Have you ever had to leave everything 
behind. Everything, everything that truly mattered to you. You know, I don't think that it's, we want to say no to God, but that what he's asking seems so unreasonable. It just sounds mental. Why on earth would he ask us to do that? You want us to give, us, to give up what? That thing which is most precious to us? That friendship? That opportunity for a relationship? Like, like, we need an anchor for our soul, and we've been together, like, we've been through so much with that friend of ours. Like, we need them, and you want us to abandon them? And what about that financial stability? Like, you're calling us to, in to step into the unknown and just leave everything behind us if it never even existed? Like, think of all the good that I could do for your kingdom with all that. It just doesn't make sense. What about that influence, that position? The good I can achieve with the kingdom that I've built. I could use it for you, and now you want me to just give it up? It absolutely makes no sense. Why would you want to do that? So our heart sinks when we tell God, like, I can't do this. I don't want to say no to you because I love you, but how can I possibly say yes to you? Do you even know what you're asking of me? So it's not that easy when it happens, isn't it? It feels like a waste, a sacrifice, giving up what is most precious to us, and we don't even know what we're getting ourselves into. So our hearts sink as we say no to God. And this is exactly the mindset that we find Moses in when we turn to him as he is in Midian. Now, Midian is this desert place. This is part of the wilderness, just, out of, uh, just outside of the borders of Egypt, on the other side of the Sinai Peninsula. He's leaving this unassuming and, and humble life of a shepherd. He's a shell of who he was once before. He's a nobody, forgotten. And as he thinks about how he had to flee from Egypt and leave everything behind, his heart sinks in him yet again. You know, he had such an incredible backstory, if you're familiar with it. When he was a child, a baby actually, Pharaoh then, you know, who, was, who felt threatened by the Israelites, said that, well, it's time to do away with them. And what Pharaoh, what Pharaoh decided was to make the sustaining vein of Egypt the devouring throat of Hebrew baby boys. So, they did, so what Egypt did was mass genocide of the Israelites. Just imagine that horror. Dead babies everywhere in the Nile. Imagine that bloody visage, like that stench. And you could hear the shrieks of grieving mothers. And then the absolute deafening silence. What a horrible, horrible scene. But out of the jaws of death, God reached in and plucked one child. And through the bravery of his mother, Moses was saved. God led that basket all the way to the daughter of Pharaoh, where he found shelter where he found safety. Then Moses grew. He grew in knowledge. He grew in wisdom and respect among the Egyptians. 
he became a wonderful general, a crafty statesman, and a very wise legislator. It was obvious to everyone that he was a natural-born leader and he was about to do great things. And you bet that he knew he is going to do great things. He said, I will do something great. What will that be for? Well, he felt very close to his people. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What's that reward, you ask? I'm glad you did. It's that vision and promise from God. That vision of freedom. Freedom. Freedom for his people. And being the unparalleled genius that he was, he knew that how he can do that, how he will achieve that freedom for his people. His zeal was hot and untempered for the cause of God. And it was in that state where he saw the sadistic act of a slave driver against one of his fellow compatriots. So he snuck up behind the Egyptian and struck him dead. He hid the body in the sand. And he said to himself, I did something. I did something great. Now we will rise up and shake this rotten nation to its very core. But no one stood beside him. He was abandoned. And what was done in the dark must come to the light, so he had to flee for his life. And I can only imagine that as he was running in the desert, he took a second to stop and said, what just happened? Where am I? Did I just leave everything behind? Where were you, God? We could have achieved something great together. I started something. You would just let that all go to waste? I could have done it. Now, years and years pass. As we open up our Bibles, if you have it, open, open it up with me. We, we turn to Exodus chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses, at chapters 3 and 4, as we skim through this story. And once a great man, he was now no one, abandoned and alone, forgotten. He cannot do it anymore. Well, the only thing he could do was marvel at God's sanctuary. He spent some time in the wilderness soaking in the glory of God and the greatness of God. He spent some time with his flocks, uh, sheep, tender and very gentle creatures, and they changed him. He became a different person during that time. And as he looked up to the stars, I can imagine how he remembered the Israelites, how they were still moaning under the oppressive hand of the Egyptian. But little did he know that God's clock hand struck the next hour and God was ready to unveil the next step of the story. How excited the Lord could have been. He said, I will do this. I will do something great. I will bring them home. I will bring them to the promised land. But the only question was, was Moses ready? Can he still do it? So, Let's pick up our Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and we read. 
the Lord met Moses, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I shall go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When God wants to catch your attention, he makes sure that he does. There is no way that you can avert your gaze from what he's trying to do. Because you know that to unveil the next step of his plan, he will need your full cooperation. And you will need to know what he's telling you to do. That is exactly what he did to Moses. And in verse 7, we pick up the continuation of that story. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses says, if only this request would have come in years ago. When I was in my prime, when I was the prince of Egypt. I could have done it back then. But now, in the next verse, Moses replies, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, Lord, you see me. You know that I'm nobody now. I've forgotten so much and I've lost so much. I cannot do it. I cannot do it any longer. And the Lord says, good. Good? Why good? Aren't you supposed to say yes to God? Well, uh, Moses just said no. And that was the right answer. Why? The Moses we knew a while back would have said yes on that heartbeat. If God would have told him jump, he would have asked how high. But this one is different. It's different because that other Moses had an Egyptian in him, figuratively speaking. A bit of Egypt burrowed itself underneath his skin. But now he's a different person. He's cut from a different cloth now. He's someone who is humbler, more self-aware. He knows his limits. In Patriarchs and Prophets, Ellen White actually reminds us, I think it's chapter 22, she says that if Moses would have jumped in right away and said, I can do this, then he would have demonstrated how unfit he is for the job. Because it's God's job all along. It's not his. It's not ours. It's God's plan to bring us out of Egypt and take us to the promised land. Right? Now, there are two places that we have to uh, pay attention to. These are two geographic locations. One is Egypt, and the other is the promised land. These both stand for something else. And you can see these parallels all throughout the Bible. One stands for heaven, the other stands for hell. Now, heaven is defined by the vision and the promise of God. And the further away you walk from God, the deeper into hell you descend. So, what characterizes heaven in a nutshell? Well, God hears the cry of the people who are stuck in Egypt. Your attention, if you're in heaven or in the promised land, your attention is 
towards the other person. It's outwardly. And that attention stems from love. There is compassion, mercy. It's a good and spacious land. It's welcoming. Everyone can find uh, the blessing of that land. Everyone can make their home there. It's a place of trust and hope. Now, Egypt is exactly the opposite. Egypt is a place where you're focused on self. And in, that, and in that selfish attitude, you become prideful. You become greedy. You know that you're better than the others, or at least you hope that you are. So you oppress the others. And that shows that you're actually terrified and, and angry at them because you see them as a threat to you. That's exactly what Egypt is. And we hope that this transition from Egypt to the promised land can be done quickly. But Egypt's tracks are buried deep into your minds. So that journey is a long and arduous one. That battle is hard fought. So Moses tells God, I cannot do this. And the Lord says, good. That old and arrogant Moses has passed and I'm liking this new one much better. <laughs> oh, oh, this one, he has potential. That school in the wilderness that prepared for ministry, it did its job. Do you think Moses is ready for the mission now? I think God was just excited. So, verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I can only imagine Moses' reaction saying, really? The sign that you will be with me now is a sign further away in the future? That doesn't really make sense. You're not really helping me out here. I'm, not, I'm still not sure if I can do this. So let's direct God's attention back to more immediate uh, uh, questions. So he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I am who I am. That's just such a beautiful and deep statement. We could, we could spend hours on this, but for our purposes... God identifies himself with his people and with that vision. He says, what, what defines me as God is me bringing you out of Egypt and into the promised land. And you can bet your life that I will never stop until that work is finished. And then he provides a detailed description uh, to Moses on how to let my people go. And as we turn to Moses in, in uh, chapter 4, we listen attentively to how he responds. Moses really understands how deep this issue is that God is bringing to him. So he's trying to find his way around it. In verse 1 we read, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to me, appear to you? Well, they have abandoned him before, haven't they? Haven't they? And that hurt, hurt a lot. There are so many variables in this equation that he cannot control. The thing 
with Moses here that you should recognize is that while he was discussing with God, he was only focusing on himself. He wasn't really seeing God, was he? He was paying attention to self. That, that shows that he has an Egyptian still living in him. So the Lord answers with the following miracles. He tells him, take your stuff, toss it on the ground. And that inanimate object becomes filled with life and turns into a real snake. So real that Moses has to run and hide from it. And then God says, this is God, reach out your hand and take hold of the snake. Okay, Moses does it. And when he does it turns back into a stuff. Now, there's a lesson for you as you consider your journey from Egypt to the promised land. You will have to face your fears. It's not going to be a simple one. Next sign. Moses is told to put his hand on the, under his garment, and when he pulls it back out, it's white as snow with leprosy. When he repeats this process, it's healthy again. Okay, God can do that. And then God says that if that's not enough for the Israelites... Uh, go down to the river, the Nile, take some water, pour it on the ground, and then it will turn to blood. The life-giving essence of Egypt will turn into death itself. God has a few tricks up his sleeve. And by the way, Moses is still talking to a burning bush. So, the, the, so what Moses knows right now is that, well, God can do this. He has everything under control. He says, Lord, you can do this. But I don't, think, I don't think I can't. Listen to what he says in verse 10. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. The statesman? Yeah. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. You could do it, but I cannot. So what he, I, I think what Moses is trying to do here is, in essence, more, like more impossible than anything else the Lord has proposed to do. He wants to change God's mind that, he, that the Lord cannot do this through Moses. And I wonder if God stands there and says to himself, well, Moses, if you only knew. I think what you're trying to attempt here is more impossible than, let's say, part a large body of water in two. So Moses practically tells God, Meeting you has not changed me whatsoever. It's harsh when we say it that way, but in essence, that's what it boils down to. I cannot do this. You cannot do this through me. There is still an Egyptian in Moses who has to die. But I'm glad that, that it did come out because what we receive here from the Lord in verse, verses 11 and 12 is one of the most beautiful pieces of encouragement you can apply to virtually any situation that you will find yourself in. God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But where does Moses look? He looks at himself. Oh, he says, but Lord, I cannot do this. I can almost see the anxiety, like, rise it in him. I, I cannot do this. So he says, well, it's, it's going to hurt, but it's best to cut ties with God right now. So what he says in the next verse is, pardon your servant, Lord, 
please send someone else. I cannot do this. He is defeated. He's cut his ties with the Lord. And there he is. I've said I can't do this to the Lord as well. Right above Greenland. Not wanting to cause a scene, I, uh, and as I felt the panic come over me, I found my way to the back of the airplane where I could stretch, breathe, and just try to gather my thoughts. And the thought occurred to me that why not take out your phone and, and open up the app, the, the Bible memory app, scripture typo. This message is not sponsored, by the way. And, <laughs> and, and just, just, just look at the next verses you have to review. Okay, fine, at least it will help me do something. Exodus 23, verse 20. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Something ran across my spine. Okay, I'm, I'm liking where this is going. Let's do another one. Psalm 94, verses 17 to 19. Unless the Lord had given me help, I soon would have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Let me tell you, I was no longer on that same airplane in that moment. I was in a completely different place, headed to a completely different land. I wasn't, ha- I wasn't living a tragedy. I was living an adventure. Mm. <laughs> I was about to discover something awesome. Have you ever had that experience? It doesn't come cheap. When, when the Bible suddenly comes alive to you. When it goes from, oh, that's nice, to, there are no better words to just say it than, it, it just comes alive. And I can, I, I can imagine that with sufficient life experience, with sufficient trials, and holding on to the word of God, that Bible will cease to be some obscure part, like literature, but it will become your life story. Yeah. Oof. It's life-giving. It's life-giving. And as I felt that, that power come into me, that life-giving power, I realized I could say something else. And I could say something along the lines of, well, I, I think actually that I can do it. Lord, 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 I can do it. You know what? I can do it, but only if you lead me through it. Only if you lead me through it. And I realized that I was gaining something much more valuable. I was gaining a a much stronger relationship with him. And he is taking me home, ever closer to home. But Moses was still defeated. He sat there on the ground. He just said no to God. So the Lord responds to him. We read that the Lord's anger burned up, like flared up against Moses, and, and, but he continued to give him encouragement. He assured him of future success, and he told him that uh, he will provide him with all the help that he will require, and that is in the person of Aaron. Moses was changed. He no longer said, I cannot do this. 
all he said was, Lord, now that that Egyptian in me has passed, I can do this, but only if you lead me through it. And after a long journey with his brother Aaron, uh, the two in Exodus chapter 4, verses 29 to 30, we read, they brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and has seen their misery, they bound and worshipped. What a beautiful experience for Moses. That's it. In that moment, they no longer were in Egypt anymore. Because the Israelites bowed down and worshipped, they now were on their journey to the promised land. Perhaps not physically, but in spirit. And they said, the Lord can do this. With a smile on their face. Here's a question that I was wrestling with as I was, as I was preparing for this. I realized, I realized, like, why on earth did God contend and wrestle so much with Moses? Why didn't he just go along with Aaron? Aaron didn't seem to have any trouble going and meeting Moses along the way. Why, why couldn't have God chosen someone more in character like Isaiah or Jeremiah? They were much more willing to respond to God in a positive way. Why did, he, why did he endure so much with Moses? And I think that it's not only the Israelites who had to find their way to the promised land, but Moses wasn't there yet either. He, is, he was still in Egypt mentally. There was still an Egyptian in him. He needed to get rid of that. You see, none of us on this journey are alone in this. None of us have arrived to the promised land. But what God wants, when he gives you an assignment, when he challenges you with something, he wants you, he wants to assure that you continue to go closer and closer to the promised land. So why does the Lord want you to get rid of all that? All that is so precious to you. It hurts giving it away, that relationship, that opportunity, that kingdom that you've built up. Why? Because those are the shackles that bind you to Egypt. Let me say that again. Those are the shackles that bind you to Egypt. And if God is asking you to get rid of them, he's giving you a chance to get out of Egypt and go into the promised land. Don't miss that chance. Don't miss that chance to go to the promised land. That sacrifice will become very easy once you realize that it, what it is all for. And that's the best thing he could have ever done for you. Moses did not become that great leader while he was in Egypt, either mentally or spiritually. He became the greatest leader that we know today on his journey to the promised land. And as the band comes back up to lead us in closing worship, I ask you, where are you on your travels from Egypt? Where are you right now? Do you look at yourself? And if you do, 
Do you look at yourself in amazement and wonder with pride? Or do you do it with, with a discouraged heart and worry? Because those will prompt you to say, I cannot do this to God. Keep your eyes on the promised land. Immerse yourself into the beauty of that. And as we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Do just that. If you're in school, especially if you're starting, and if you're anxious about this journey ahead of you, know that the, the fact that you're in school right now is a promise that you will receive your degree. You shall be transformed in this journey ahead of you. God is using this to make you the person that you need to be to serve others and to bring them closer to the promised land while you do the same thing. And if you work, and if you're already done with school, do you have a tough job or are you having a hard time? If so, good. Good, because that's the exact hardship that Christ is using to create his image in you. He is the creator, and he will work his wonders in you if you just allow it to happen. So if he challenges you with this journey, it is because he knows you can succeed. So bravely say, with, with humility though, I can do this, but only because you will lead me through it. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there. On a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment, it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.